0: Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline, he's a must every time the Colts match up against the Titans, a part of the radio network and the former NFL coach, and most notably a former fantastic coach of the DBs at Indiana State University in the late 70s and early 80s. Of course, we're talking about Dave McGinnis with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Coach, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great.
0: Sounds like that tavern tour is a hell of a deal. Yeah, I mean, that uh, that sounds legit. Let me tell you this: if you had time to be with us, you would thank me later for being with us. <laughs> you yeah, would I'll, like it.
1: I'll, I've 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 been to a few rodeos and goat ropings in my career, and that sounds like a pretty good event that I'd like to be at.
0: It is, uh, it is, and it's a uh, weekly event that uh, we do surrounding the start of every NFL week, and uh, it is it's fantastic. So maybe one of these days, but I promise. You would certainly love it. I, I'm curious, what, what did you like about this Titans team getting that first win? Because it, we're kind of living in the same spot here. The Colts got one of those confidence builders with that win over Kansas City on Sunday. Seems like the Titans kick-started things as well with their win over the Raiders.
1: Well, I mean, you know, I've been in this for, this is my 37th straight season. and So I know how important wins are. And you know, wins for an NFL organization are like oxygen. That's how important they are because everything generates off of that and it you know if once you're once you're trying to get that first win it's like you're pulling against everything because everybody prepares everybody prepares extremely hard puts everything they have in it you know you know, the entire week looking forward to it. And then when it doesn't come out on your side, because you only get 17 shots at this. So, yeah, it's a huge boost. And and regardless of how you do it, it's just find a way to win. And that's what this league is about right now. You can see it across the league. You know, there, there are no infallible teams across the league. And there's a lot of things that can swing a game uh, either positively or negatively. And so you just got to try to get, the positives on your side, and uh, you're right. Both both teams got a very much-needed win, and now they're into an AFC South game, which we always know were important.
0: It's a Dave McGinnis, part of the radio network on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Give me a couple of um, aspects that you, you really liked about that win over the Raiders last week from a, a Titans standpoint, what, what you liked um, and what they could play off of coming to Indy on Sunday.
1: Well, they were able to get the run game going, and that's extremely important. I mean, you know, with Derrick Henry, I and mean, it's just like you guys got there with Jonathan Taylor. you got to get that dude moving. And the thing that you have to do, all you really have to do is get those guys to their fourth step and then they're going to be an issue for any second level, you know, of the defense. But you got to get them past that line of scrimmage, and and that that's important because you know everything gins off of that. I mean, you know, with Matt Ryan now, you guys are doing a lot of play action, but the play action is much more effective when you've got a run game going, and so that really helped the Titans last week. They were able to get a little, you know, get some traction going in that run game early on, and then we're able to to capitalize on 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 that aspect of it. With their throws that they were able to make down the field, so to me, I mean, I really like that, you know, and I, and I like the fact that that they were they were able at least what they were able to do is is, is keep Devontae Adams and and Darren Waller from completely running away with the game, and and so the the thing that you have to do in this league, and look. To me, I mean, it's so hard to win in this league that you, you look for things that give you a little bit of an edge, and that, that was their edge last week, but they've got to continue to live like that because that's the way this team is built. Well, and, and obviously
0: there was a regrouping factor going on too because that wasn't uh, an enjoyable time uh, against Buffalo, certainly, in week number two, so there was a regrouping aspect with a couple of weeks of disappointment that you didn't have time to sit around and worry about. You had to get up off that floor immediately.
1: Well, nobody—you don't have time in this league. To, first of all, nobody cares how how bad it's going for you, and you're the only per, the only people that can do anything about it. And really, you know, the the players on the field and the coaches—you know—that that you've got to rebound. And no matter how it is, how good it is or how bad it is, you've got it. You've got to to watch it. You've got to correct it, and then you've got to flush it and get ready for the next week because it comes on you very quick. And nobody cares about the problems you're having because everybody else is having problems of their own. And so, I mean, you, you, that, that's the way the league is. I coached for 31 straight years in this league. I know the the, the time frame that, that it takes to both recover from disappointment and also to get everybody back on the same wavelength as to what's got to go on for the next week. You got no time to feel sorry for yourself in this league because you've only got seventeen weeks to do
0: it. Hey Dave, I thought about those first two weeks of the season too, and like you mentioned, you've been in the NFL long enough to know what. I, I know you got to flush it and move on immediately, but w- which one of those scenarios, week one or week two, is is tougher? To get past, you know, the, the loss where you you should have won, or the loss in which you get blown out, and you know, basically have backups in there by midway or the end of the third quarter. Which one is easier? Which one's more difficult to get past?
1: Well, they're both difficult. I mean, and, and, but they, they, you're right; they both were different games. But really, that that game that game against Buffalo was, you know, it was ten seven going into the the last play of the of the of the second quarter. And fourth down, you know where they where they made a, a throw across the field to get a touchdown, move it to seventeen seven, and then the tsunami started in the third quarter. So you know the Titans were in that ball game until until the the, the complete collapse in that third quarter. so to me and, and you know you miss a, you miss a field goal at the, at the at the end of the Giants game that all of a sudden you know you, you turn a, a what you are hoping, everybody in the stadium standing up hoping it's going to be a victory into a defeat. They're both hard. They're both extremely hard. I mean, you, you just – you but you've got you've to be able to come back from – I mean, I can't quantify losses because losses are losses. I mean, it, you know, it's not like NBA or not Major League Baseball where you've got maybe 100 more games to make it up. You don't. You've got one week to make it up. So they're both hard, brother.
0: It's Dave McGinnis of the Radio Network with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Speaking of hard – Nobody makes excuses, and again, as you mentioned earlier, nobody's going to feel sorry for the Titans, but you you got some injury situations going on. Uh, It's uh, Taylor LeJuan coming off of last week. We knew about Harold Landry going into the start of the season. What has been the effect on both sides of the football or what will be the effect offensively with LeJuan being gone and what has been the effect with Landry being gone so far early this season with that defense?
1: Well, you gotta recalibrate. You know, somebody else has got to move up and somebody and somebody else has to play. I mean, this league really and you know this, this league waits for nobody. It really doesn't. You know, so you gotta you gotta recalibrate and you just it, here's what you have to do in, in the National Football League. And injuries are a major part of the National Football League because it's a violent collision sport, you know, with, with extremely fast and, and, and powerful athletes running together very hard all the time. So they're gonna happen. But you have got to be able to. Oh, you, you don't. What you have to be able to do is is manufacture ways to win when you don't have those the top line players in there, and that's extremely important. I mean, this club last year went through 91 players, you know, on on the way to, to you know to a 12 win season. That was hard too, and and this this is sizing up to be one of those other uh, another just find a way uh, seasons where you got to find a way every week. You can't you can't really worry about what you don't have. You've got to find a way to get to maximize what you do have and that's
2: just the way it is hey,
0: dave if you wouldn't mind if compare the two high volume running backs from your coach's eyes here what what you see so far from jonathan taylor and obviously maybe compare and contrast a little bit between both he and derrick henry these two high volume highly productive running backs we're going to see on sunday
1: well they're both excellent contact runners first of all they're they're excellent they're excellent after the first contact you know and 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 what the, what they're both able to do is they're they're both able to get stronger as the game goes on you know I came into this league i was very fortunate when I first came into the bears you know with walter payton and i would i would i would just marvel at watching him you know run up against some really front for a while but just keep hammering at the wall hammering at the wall and then you know just being relentless both of these guys are relentless runners you know they they really are and they both you know just like henry you know last week i think johnson uh, johnson taylor's the same way if you ha- if you need to use them in the passing game you can they're both extremely dangerous screen runners they're both guys that pressure a defense both on the in the middle and on the edges and so to me i mean both squads, both teams are very fortunate to have two lead horsebacks like that and then, you know, you've got you've got the, the, the faster guys, we've got Hilliard, you've got Naheem Hines that are really great change of pace dudes. And so that's the way you try to build Your run game is is two change-of-pace players that can put different types of pressure on the defense, but you know, to be able to to compare those two, I mean, anybody would take either one of them, and that's that's the comparison I make in the National Football League. If anybody would take either one of them, then they're both pretty special. It's Dave
0: McGinnis from the Radio Network, the former NFL coach with us. Titans Colts coming up on Sunday, a part of Week 4 of Lucas Oil Stadium. Dave's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I know that there's a, a short example of what we've seen so far but offensively as far as through the air is concerned after A.J. Brown compared to what you expected when A.J. Brown was a part of this Titans offense
1: well I mean A.J. Brown's not here anymore so that's not even part of the equation you know, that that and that's the other thing you have to do in this league. You can't you know, ifs and buts and candy and nuts would all have a Merry Christmas. That doesn't work in this league. You you, you go with what you have, and so I mean they've got the, they've got their offense designed around the people that they have uh and, and what they want to do with it. And it, as I said, you, you I mean that that's for that's for fans to lament who's here, who's not here. You know, coaches in the in the locker room have no time for it. You've got to get it done with who you have what
0: uh what has, what have you seen in the effect i give you a great example what what do you expect what have you seen what's the upside of burks in getting I was, in here he was, as as a wide receiver, as a rookie wide receiver with the Titans,
1: he's a big phys- he's a big physical runner. You know that that, that, that is excellent. Is a, is a is a really good route runner. Can stretch it out. You know once he catches it, I mean he's a very good contact catcher. And uh, you know he just has he just has to learn that just like all young receivers do. You've got one there in Pierce that they're, they're they're talented. They just have to they just have to learn the nuances of what it is in the National Football League because windows close a lot quicker in this league than what than, than what they're used to. The people they are playing against close much faster on them. And so it's a, it's a big difference. Uh, and the windows are tighter that they're going to have to catch in. But uh, Traylon Burks is, a, I mean, he's a, he's a talent and uh, is a good, developing young talent, which, uh, you know, they're going to continue to develop. They're very pleased with him right now.
0: How long does it normally take over the years you have seen for a rookie wide receiver? I know that there are different situations, certainly, but how long does it normally take? a rookie wide receiver to get it for the game to slow down and for him to become productive as those that picked him in the draft thought he might be.
1: Well, I mean, it it depends on the individual. I mean, I drafted Anquan Bolden when I was the head coach at Arizona and he got it from the first day he stepped on the field. You know, and some guys are just like that. And some guys, it, it takes them a while, but it, it's all on the individual. There's no set time. You can't say, okay, at this, at this point in time, then this rookie receiver that you drafted, whether it's the first round, second, third, fourth, doesn't matter. They're going to be ready to go. It's on the individual. As I said, I've been around guys that have taken a while. You know, I've, I've been around guys where it's taken half the first season. I've been around guys where after the first season, they're a completely different person the second season. And then with a guy like Anquan Boldin, as I said, the first time he stepped across the line, He was ready to go. He set set an NFL rookie receiving record, the first game he ever played against Detroit.
0: Dave McGinnis is with us. I don't think I've asked you this before, but Danico Autry, there was always some question whether or not the Colts should have tried to keep him here, Uh, I believe his second season down with the Titans' defense. How how has he been for that defense? Because he was a guy I think that often was underappreciated around here. Seems like he's very appreciated in year number two there.
1: No, they uh, they they love him here. I mean, the guy because you know the guy can play inside or outside. He's a relentless player. He's a very physical player. He's got the length that you look for, you know, in guys to be able to be a disruptor. I mean, yeah, the, the Nico Autry has been everything that uh, that they wanted when they they were fortunate enough to be able to bring him into here. I mean, he's I mean he's he's a big part of what they do you know, every week, game planning defensively. Uh, yeah, Nico Autry is very well thought of here in Nashville, I promise you.
0: No, it's a long season, but from a, um, a radio former coach viewpoint, how large does this game loom with these division rivals on Sunday, in your opinion?
1: Well, it's an AFC South game, and that's big because the, the the surest way to get in the tournament is to be able to win your division. This is a, this is a, a big, big division game. I mean, that's just that's you can't you can't be any more important than that. And so, you know, that's that's where it is. You know, although I coached in this league for 31 years, and, and you know, and I'd have people asking, Mac, is this game very important?" I said, "Well." I don't know. You tell me a game that you're going to coach or play in the National Football League that doesn't matter, and uh, you know, because there, there's no there's no Division Three teams on this schedule, so every game matters. You never coach. You never, co- you
0: never coached at any level on any game that didn't matter. I'm assuming, right? So yes, exactly.
1: Well, yeah, that's a hundred percent right. Even when I was at Indiana State, every game we played, yeah, every at Sycamore, every every game <laughs> matters.
0: I every time I have you on, I hear from Tom James. It's always very refreshing when I have you Thanks.
1: on. Snake James. Snake James is one of the all-time great people. I mean, he was one of the all-time great PR guys, and he's still he's still a wonder, wonderful ambassador for for Indiana State University. They're they're fortunate to have him still waving the banner of the Sycamores. There, great dude. I love Snake James. I don't know. You can make the argument that if anybody there has been more loyal
0: to Indiana State and Terre Haute than Tom James has no, in his no career,
1: no. You can't find them. You cannot find them. As I said, uh, when we were all coaching there, the coaching staff, we loved Snake, and uh, we still do.
0: Hey, I always appreciate you coming on. Safe travels up here. Have a great broadcast coming up on Sunday. And uh, I guess, what, end of October is when that return date is down in Nashville. We'll do that uh, week leading up to again, if you don't mind.
1: Well, not absolutely. Enjoy the tavern tour. Great talking to you. <laughs> All right, Dave. I'll see, see you, guys. buddy. Thank you. Dave McGinnis,
0: you. who's on the Titans Radio Network. <laughs> Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline for the morning show, Kevin Inquiry, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. He's our good friend, Kevin Bowen. Did you know that that was Mr. Mister? Uh, I did not. I've certainly heard that song a yeah. lot,
3: but if you would have put the feet to the fire and said, is that Mr. Mr. I, I would
0: have had no idea. It's an 80s classic. I need to start giving you a quiz. I think every time I bring you on or something like that.
3: Well, I think we both know how that would probably go. I think yeah. similar to my uh, co-host right now, I would need some tutor help to get through,
0: hey, through. that class quick thing for teachers, treasures doing something free throw shooting wise at Hinkle coming up on Friday. Are you and Jake doing that too? I, I'm your rebounder. You're my rebounder. Yes. What well, do you mean, the I passer? So. There's going to be no rebounds. They're all going to go straight in. You're just going to be my <laughs> okay, passer. Right. Okay.
3: So where do you, uh, where? I mean, I guess free throw. You're not really shooting necessarily in, uh-uh. in rhythm, but uh, you know, are you a chest? You know, you, 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 you like just the normal bounce pass back to you. Like I got I got, a, I got a free right throw. Here?
0: I got a free throw routine. Don't you? I mean, I know you play enough that you have a free throw routine. Don't you?
3: Oh, without question. Yeah. What's yeah. your routine? Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm a two dribble spin. Um and that's pretty much it. I mean I think with the right foot uh, I'm finding a position before I before I shoot, but the main thing is the two dribble spin.
0: Yeah. Yeah, see back in you the day back in the day when we uh wore grape smugglers, when I was at the free throw line, I would adjust the front of my, my jock strap and then kinda of pick the uh the underwear that I had under my jock strap out of my rear end. That was my routine back then. It was really weird. Boy. But I I, by, I said, shot yeah, it was, at an 89% month, clip, yeah. so something – I think grabbing my crotch and picking my butt and then shooting it two dribbles and then a shot, I think that was good, 89%, do what you do.
3: So we set the over-under
0: at 89.5 <laughs> for Friday? Part of my problem is my my foot is kind of broken. So I've got a little crack in the fifth metatarsal area of my left foot working here. So I don't know. i got to get out there and kind of feel it out. You guys aren't shooting? I believe it's yourself
3: and Bruce Kidd, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think Jake and I are there to uh simply uh get the ball back to the shooter. Nice man.
0: Can't wait. Can't wait to see you guys I, I, there.
3: I'm actually really really looking forward to it. Um I, I'm excited to watch you
0: shoot. Have you um have you shot in Hinkle before? Sure. Um I think I played one of those media pickup games. Yeah.
3: That would have yeah. been when did when did those stop?
0: Now that I'm thinking about it, I want to say mine, I think stopped when, uh, Blake was around six and I was playing. And that was when I was taking the, uh, the six month hiatus to come here off. And I was up there playing and there was a bus that was taking a tour that came from Muncie and I was playing. And then somebody said, Hey, where's Blake? He was six. And I said, I don't know where Blake is. And I looked around Hinkle for him. I thought maybe he was on the, uh, the upper deck ramp. And he was uh standing in line getting ready to board this bus with a bunch of other kids that are around fourth graders to go back to Muncie. <laughs> 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 oh, that is awesome. So that oh that almost yeah. that almost turned really bad for a moment. I can't remember who said to me, Hey, where's Blake? But they, they saved my ass, whoever that was. Honestly. <laughs>
3: Well, you can get lost in Hinkle, you yeah. know, a lot of, you know to, to be fair. But, yeah, bored of the old bus. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was a Butler basketball camper way back in the day. Brad Stevens was running the Butler basketball camp when I was there.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, he was. He When he took over, when he took over as head coach of Butler's program before, you know, all the back-to-back championship game stuff and all that happened, he just took over. And I used to have these with listener golf outings, um, three times a summer when I was at the other place and there would always be a celebrity, you know, with me because nobody wanted to really play golf with me. And we played at the brickyard and Brad, Brad, Brad was, uh, once he played a round of golf as the celebrity with me. And, uh, he said, we got, I think we made the turn and he said, man, how drunk are you? As his quote, and I said, I, I think I'm pretty drunk. He goes, I think you play better drunk. And I said, I think you're right. That's why I I'm keeping going here. So that was always kind of funny to hear that from Brad Stevens. Uh, how drunk are you? That'll always that is awesome. will always be a part of my memory right there from from Brad. But no, seriously, can't wait to do that with you guys coming up on on Friday as well. You know, it's funny. I was talking about this when I opened up the show. I brought up kind of the silver platter moments, if you will, that the Chiefs. Helped out the Colts. Colts ultimately helped out themselves, right, by winning the game, taking the game. But the Chiefs gave them some opportunities via special teams, Chris Jones, whatever. Um, it, It seems like that there's a situation even before the game starts with Tennessee because they have such a myriad of injuries. And I'm talking injuries at foundational pieces of what they have put together team-wise. And what Jim Irsay has liked so much and been, I think, so smitten about the past couple of years with that team, You know, being the one seed a year ago, going to the AFC title game the year prior, those foundational pieces are out of this game. So to me, this is almost like even going in another one of those silver platter type of super must-win situations for the Colts here. Maybe not reminiscent of the Chiefs, but I think categorically speaking, at least in the ballpark of, hey, this is their team right now. This is why the the Colts have to take this game, especially at home.
3: Yeah, you know, when you've lost four or five to them, that probably adds to it. When they've won the last two division titles, I think that adds, certainly from the owner. The owner made it very clear to his football team on the first day of training camp when he meets them about the disappointment he's had and what Tennessee's done to them. Uh, and, And like you said, John, I mean, they are a wounded wounded football team right now in some very key spots. Um, Jake and I were talking about it a little earlier in the week. You know, in what they lost in A.J. Brown and the torn ACL, I believe it was both of them tore their ACLs, and the torn ACLs were Harold Landry at defensive end and then Taylor Lewan, their left tackle. I mean, when you consider your top tackle, your top pass rusher, and – dynamic top wideout that would be like the Colts right now without Michael Pittman, Yannick Ngakwe, and Braden Smith. And those are monumental losses from last year. So you factor all of that in, you factor in that you missed out on your first two AFC South opportunities, and you've got them at home, and you look at tiebreakers in the division, divisional record tiebreaker comes into play at some point. Yeah, monumental. This is huge. Uh, I think you and I talked about it honestly on Sunday morning. Yeah. If you really wanted to boil it down, beating Tennessee means more than beating Kansas City. And I get from emotion and, and you know just not being winless at this point of the season, Kansas City was huge. But if you're doing the math and you wanted to pick one of the two, if you could only pick one of the two, you'd rather have Sunday, this Sunday.
0: Yeah, no question about that, too. I mean, there's no doubt that game against Kansas City, that win was large. But this in the grand yeah. scope of things, even larger coming up on Sunday. Kevin Bowen of the Morning Show, Kevin Inquiry. He joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Some DNPs for practice time on this Wednesday today. What do you make of the possibility of Julian Blackman on Sunday? Pretty much in doubt?
3: Yeah, Frank was really vague. I asked him, you know, high or low ankle sprain. He would not go there at all. I think any time a guy leaves the game, doesn't return, and then doesn't practice on that Wednesday, that's usually not a great sign for him. Um, it's Wednesday. You know, I always kind of view the Wednesday injury report as like, all right, just what do you need to monitor for the rest of the week? Like the Thursday injury report to me is a little bit more like, hmm, is that two days in a row? Um, But on Wednesday, you typically see a lot of veteran guys rest. i give you a couple things to note, though. That Jonathan Taylor did not practice is due to a toe. Any running back dealing with a toe injury I don't think is ideal. Um, I believe it's a different body part for DeForest Buckner than what he had been dealing with. I want to say it's an elbow. Um, And then no Ryan Kelly today. And I just think considering the offensive line protection issues you've had, frankly, the communication issues, that you've had, I think it's very important for your center to be out there as much as possible during practice.
0: Yeah. And listen, I know that Frank has said this, and I know you guys have talked about this in the morning. You've written about this. If this is all just close to 100% communication and not just who this offensive line is, great. But it's time to get that thing going here, somehow, some way. I'll be honest with you. There are sometimes when you see Brayden Smith or when you see Danny Pinter or when you see Ryan Kelly or, you know, on the left side, you know, when you see, you know, Matthew Pryor, it, it doesn't look like it's all about communication here. So that worries me. But let me tell you, if it is, get that thing fixed and get that thing fixed this weekend.
3: Yeah, I mean, there are definitely individual breakdowns, John. I don't want to act like that there's not. And you you know, mentioned some of the guys. Obviously, you saw Danny Pinter on Sunday. But I do think if you're going to kind of lay blame or what's the biggest element, the amount of free rushers on Sunday, to me, that is so much communication. And that's on Matt Ryan. That's on Ryan Kelly. Um, I think there were some misses from Jonathan Taylor, frankly, and Blitz pickup as well. So, again, that's where all of those guys have got to be better because your offense is just not potent enough throwing the ball to allow that to happen. This is not a team built to make up for getting behind the chains. You know, one of the biggest plays in the game on Sunday that I kind of forgot about so I went back and watched it, You know, Matt Pryor has that holding penalty on the final drive. It's a first and 20, and Jonathan Taylor gets you, like, 14 yards or 13 yards. That was a huge play just to get back into a normal down and distance. There, uh, you know, not many offenses are are built to play from behind the, the the chains, if you will. But definitely the the Colts. I, I don't know how you felt up in the press box on Sunday, John, but I watched that from up there and thought to myself. This is like Jacoby
0: Bursette in 2017. I'm telling you, I said the uh, same yeah. thing. I could not believe how inaccurate and how much that Matt Ryan missed, whether he was under duress or not, stuff that he missed.
3: Yeah, and you worry, you know, did he get gun shy at some point? You know, like, you know, it's just not really a phrase you use for a 14-year vet or 15-year vet, but I thought that – um, You know, the the media scrum was pretty crowded today. I didn't get a chance to ask him. And he probably would have opened up too much. But I wanted to ask him, like, how are you feeling? I I went back and charted the first three games of his NFL career, each NFL season he's had. He's averaged being sacked, I think it's five times, in the first three games of the season. I believe the numbers are 12 sacks and 28 hits for him through three games this season. Uh, If that continues, Nick Foles is going to get reps. Nick Foles is going to start games for you. And that's wild to say about a guy that's missed one game in the last you know, decade, but that's how bad it's been through the first three games. So if you don't get it corrected, there will be games that you will have Nick Foles as your starting center. I'm a firm believer in that.
0: You know, Kevin Bowen joins us. I do want to double back to the offensive line and something you said, and this is kind of my opinion of it right now. And I guess it's one of those, you got to prove it to me. Uh, before I change it, I would I think I'm I'm much more in agreement and in belief that Jonathan Taylor would fix any miss blitz pickup opportunities in the foreseeable future that he is going to be a part of. It just looks like that Braden Smith and Danny Pinter and really for a while now with Ryan Kelly, these guys look like they're playing to the level in which they are. And that's more frightening to me than just the whole communication aspect of it.
3: Yeah, you know, I think naturally you're going to have some individual breakdowns, but, you know, when it is Braden Smith and that guy needs to be so reliable to you, that is an issue. You know, I, I think the rollout in the strip sack when Braden Smith gets beat by Carlos Dunlop and you see that play unfold on Sunday, yes, does Braden Smith get beat without question? But that also is a ball that Matt Ryan's got to throw away. And that's a ball that Matt Ryan has got to feel the awareness on that. And you've got Matt Ryan to avoid the catastrophic plays. You've got him because he's smart and because his brain is supposed to help you pre-snap, process, identify, anticipate, all those things. So, yeah, there are definitely breakdowns happening up front. Um, but I, I, I don't know, John. I, I tend to think it is a little bit more communication-based than it is just individual guys not – holding their own there is that but there's that all over the NFL the amount of free rushers I I have never seen it to that degree where you just had plays flat out that had zero chance of working out because of guys coming free and the inability to either know which guys are coming free or know where to go to go with the football right after that
0: Well, let me tell you, I mean, it wasn't just about, you know, last weekend, for example, with the Blitz. I mean, the stunts and twists where Jacksonville the week prior put on an absolute defensive clinic that the Colts offensive line has zero answer for that.
3: Zero, and Tennessee will disguise right up there with just about anybody in the league. And from an interior rushing standpoint, you know, similar to Chris Jones this past weekend, Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry are a pretty good duo. The Colts were obsessed with Simmons coming out of the draft. I forget which year it was. He went a few picks before they had a selection. But uh, those are two guys that, yes, they don't have Harold Andre, They're stud off the edge. But those are two guys that, obviously, Autry can have a lot of self-motivation. Uh, but once you show that on tape, teams are going to stunt you and they're going to you know, disguise you and try to prove that you can handle it. Uh, a little bit of a benefit, I guess, is that you're playing at home, so crowd noise shouldn't be an issue. But
0: uh,
3: with how your offense is built, and you can say this about any offense, you just can't survive when your highest-paid O-line and that entire operation around it is playing like that.
0: Well, that's not a breakdown just in the moment or a breakdown for the remainder of the year. That's a, that's a foundational breakdown that's detrimental for the future. That's That's the issue considering how you're built. And the whole salary scale of things, that's a breakdown that we'll see if if it's that way much longer than just us sitting talking about what took place last weekend and what may take place coming up on Sunday. Kevin Bowens on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. All right, I want to flip this around, too, because we went off on the offensive line and their woes. But we saw a step up with that defensive line for the first time in three weeks against Kansas City. Is that a stepping stone to where you think this defensive line is going to look more like what we expect it to look moving forward?
3: I would hope. Um, I will say that I think the challenge with Kansas City is very unique. Obviously, it's very difficult, but it's really unique. It's not like you just take the Kansas City blueprint and you're like, boom, insert with the Tennessee game plan. Honestly, I don't know if you go from two totally different offenses more than Kansas City and Tennessee in consecutive weeks. Um, And and not only the D-line, John, and again, one sack, I think five hits. That doesn't tell the full story. I thought they found that balance of rushing discipline, but also rushing disruptive enough, which is really difficult to do against Patrick Mahal. And really, that Camp City O-line is a pretty good bunch. They have invested a good amount into that once they've gotten some other pieces in place there. But I, I would point to the secondary. I thought they were outstanding considering like Gus Bradley made some pretty notable changes. He did. It was That, that was about as
0: bold as I can remember, or at least people telling me how he has been as a defensive coordinator. I, I,
3: I would agree. And frankly, I would tend to think how many defensive coordinators would make three pretty significant changes to their personnel in a week that they're playing Patrick Mahomes in a week that it's just week three of the season. You know, it's not like this has been a, trend for a month and a half. This is still very early in the year. Nick Cross went from starter to playing one snap. He went from playing every snap week one in Houston to one snap on Sunday. Uh, So, Ronnie McLeod, you wanted the veteran experience in there. Ronnie McLeod has over 120 career starts, so he was in the starting lineup for Nick Cross. We've been kind of calling for the Isaiah Rogers uptick in playing time. You did see that. He played over 20 snaps, rotating in. And then the third move Uh, When when the Julian Blackman injury happened, John, and he went to the locker room, I thought to myself, oh, boy. Like, that could be it right there. I mean, if you're Kansas City and you're seeing that upstairs, Julian Blackman would be one of the five most important players you'd have on the field against Kansas City, knowing what Mahomes wants to do and wants to challenge vertically. Blackman goes to the locker room. I'm assuming that Nick Cross was then going to come in at strong safety. Then you'd bump Rodney McLeod back to free safety they elected to keep McLeod at strong safety and then put Rodney Thomas, a second, the seventh round pick out of Yale for his first ever defensive snaps. I mean, I I can't imagine walking out there and, you know, you're a quarter half in the game and all of a sudden it's like, Oh God, I'm getting out there and I got to do it against Patrick Mahomes. And I thought Rodney Thomas held his own number 25 for those that were kind of curious who that guy was. So, um, the so McLeod and the and the Rogers decisions are more like definite personnel base because those guys are, you know, pretty much starting for you. Um, or at least that was the decision that Bradley went with. So I will say major kudos to him for making changes in the secondary. And I really thought that group helped out the pass rush big time no doubt and making the homes hold
0: on to the ball well and, and it they you have to stay because he wants to at least from what I watch he wants to get out of the pocket he feels more comfortable in throwing on the run and you know those guys are going to end up being open I, I think those guys in the secondary hung with their guys longer than than normal and that's incredibly difficult so yes I would agree with you there the other thing that I thought the Colts did It really did magnify just how much that Chiefs offense misses Tyreek Hill, without question.
3: Yeah, I was thinking about the shots that Mahomes took down the field. Like, he had the one to juju on that first third down that Kenny Moore got beat on and just he overthrew him. Um, I, I can't recall many other just like, and we're talking Mahomes bombs. I mean, he just airs it out, you know, at some point in games, you know, 40-some yards down the field. I don't remember really any of that. And uh, not allowing, and obviously, again, like you said, not having Tyreek is a huge, huge part of that. Uh, but I thought that was, you know, massive and not getting beat deep and just making sure that you were forcing Kansas City to be methodical with their drives. And, you know, I know ben, but Don't Break has a very negative, yeah. you know, kind of connotation or stereotype with it. That's exactly what you did, exactly what you needed to do. And that's where I, I was trying to come at it from this angle on Monday, John. The Colts got gifts. Without question, they got gifts. But their defense kept them in a position all game long to so when those gifts continued to be handed to them, they cashed in on them. And if that deficit ever got two scores, which it never did, you know, that first drive of the third quarter, Kansas City's got a first and three. I think it was a first and goal, I should say, from the three-yard line. Boom, if they cash that in, in my mind, that's too much to overcome. I know it was still the midway point of the third quarter, but in my mind at that point, if you had given up a lead that had stretched to two scores, your offense had shown me nothing to think that they were going to get to 21. I know they were pretty close to it, but uh, the fact that your defense hung in there, I think it kept the sideline believing. I think it kept the offense believing. It kept the crowd believing, and that was huge. For them
0: to do that. Kevin Bowen half of the morning show combination of Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m. Weekday mornings right here on 93.5 and 107.5. The fannies on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Did you think back in July when DeAndre Ayton signed that, that offer sheet, then ultimately his team, the Phoenix Suns, matched, <laughs> that we would fast forward to the end of September, the start of camp and practice where Miles Turner seemingly would be more happy about where he is than DeAndre Ayton is happy about where he is.
3: <laughs> uh, I guess I should not even think about it like that. Yeah, those uh, the Turner press conference uh, yeah. versus the Aiden press conference, just a tad different. Exactly. I mean,
0: Aiden looked like he thought he wanted to be anywhere else but there. It kind of seemed like. And I'm thinking, dude, I mean, you're still in
3: the warm weather and you get to play video games and you're making all that money. Oh, why, why are you complain? Did he say he hasn't spoken with Monty Williams? He has not talked since,
0: since he got benched in Game 7 against the Mavericks. He has not talked <laughs> to his coach.
3: God, Chris Paul's got to love hearing that. Um, I, I will give Bob's credit. I, I, I thought he handled it really well yesterday. or I guess it would have been Monday, media day. Um, you know, as a human being, I mean, yeah, I, I get it. He's making great money, but as a human being to see that eight and offer sheet, it's got it, to it kind of frustrate you to some degree. And I'm just not even getting in the debate about like, you know, will he resign? Uh, you know, should the Pacers, you know, offer him, you know, this extension, all that. I'm just fascinated to see Miles, John, by himself, and I, by that I mean no more Domas, and playing with Tyrese Halliburton. Because Halliburton is a much different point guard than Malcolm Brogdon. And the Pacers in general are built much differently than they were, you know, in that previous era. And I'm just curious to see if, you know, Turner's belief and Turner's words, what, that ter- what does that turn into? Because from a self-motivation standpoint, he's got a whole lot to play for this year uh, coming up in the contract year. Because it's probably the last time he's going to cash in in his NBA career, truly cash in in his NBA career.
0: All the haters around here. They're going to turn around and they're going to want him to stay come the trade deadline. That's my call. Yeah, I uh, and I hope I hope he I hope he gets traded and goes someplace else so I can shove it up uh, each and every one of their rear ends like the guy at Turkey Run tried to do with me with the game Sunday. Yeah, I, I caught
3: bits and pieces of that. I still need to hear the full story. Yeah, I'm, the guy but, at Turkey uh,
0: Run he wanted me to he wanted me to shove that Colts win up my butt. Which gotcha. okay, yeah. There very Turkey um, Run, a very rural area. So I don't know if he thought maybe he was speaking my language, so to speak. I don't know. So whatever.
3: <laughs> I am. Um, yeah. I am eager to see, and I don't know. Maybe this question for you. Yes. You fast forward to March. Out of these four guys, who's still on the Pacers roster? Turner, Keel, Daniel, Tice, T.J. McConnell.
0: Um. Who was the
3: second one? Turner, Buddy Heel, Daniel Pice, uh, TJ McConnell, the four highest-paid Pacers right now. I I would bet
0: none of them. <laughs> I, I think that that's – They're all gone? Yeah, I, I, um, maybe – I don't know. What's the contract length here? What are we talking about? I, Miles is definitely going to be gone. They're going to trade Miles because they're going. He's going to play at a level where a lot of people that used to hate him here are going to want him to stay, and I'm going to laugh at that. But they're going to view him as obviously a commodity that people want in the market to make their team better, that are playoff worthy. So they're going to trade him at the t- trade deadline. What's what's healed McConnell and um, uh, Tice? Tice definitely will be gone. There's no doubt. Healed and McConnell. Yeah, what's their contractual situations? I, I'll say this: McConnell will still be here. The other three of gone. Kyle
3: can look this. Kyle can look this up, but I—they're all. None of them are in contract years like Miles, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. I—I I, I think they're all multiple years left on it. Yeah, uh, you
0: know what? I'll have to dial I mean, that McConnell back then. Three, I think that the contract right. situation, guys, they're going to be the only one gone because you're not going to be forced into doing something at the trade deadline, um, other than doing something with Miles. So three of the four stay. Miles will be gone. I don't want him to go, but um, I think. People are going to wish, some people are going to wish that he he could stay because he's going to put up some numbers. I like it.
3: It's such a fascinating dynamic. I know you're kind of up against it, so I'll try to keep it short. such a fascinating dynamic with the Pacers this year will be the decisions Carlisle will make in, okay, do you play Buddy Heald or do you play Chris Duarte and Benedict Mathern? Do you play T.J. McConnell or do you play Andrew Nemhard? Do you play? play Daniel Tice or Isaiah Jackson the whole like do you play the veteran or do you play the young guy like and I get it early in the year you're probably going to roll with these veterans and just see what you have but there's going to come a point during the season where you're going to want to turn the page I think to a degree how you handle that I think will be really interesting and probably is going to play into the question that I asked you of you know who's still going to be here post-trade
0: deadline. Whether or not they will be in the running for Victor Matowamba or whatever his name is from France, right? That's what it's going to come down to. Whether or not they they are going to be legitimately like we expect the Utah Jazz, for example. That's what Danny Ainge is going for right now. I mean, he's, he's selling everything. Absolutely right. everything in Utah right now. So that's what they're going for. If the Pacers are in a position to be in that neighborhood, that's I think going to to dictate exactly how they handle it. So, yeah, double back on that. One of the four. I think Miles will be the only one because Miles, I think, is going to play to a level in which we'll have significant value at the trade deadline, and somebody will want to, believing they can make a run, move on his skill set, and the, the Pacers will get something out of Miles after that. That's what I think.
3: Hope he stays healthy because these last two years, that's have been that been an issue as well.
0: Hey. Uh, Matthew Wilder once sang, ain't nothing going to break my stride, ain't nothing going to slow me down. Stop it with the injury, foot stuff, and all this crap about Miles, okay? Don't bring it here on a Wednesday. (laughs) Ain't nothing going to break my stride.
1: You know, to be
3: fair, you were the one that brought up your your foot issue, which Kyle informed me of a few weeks ago. And if (laughs) I'm going to see you, I don't want you toeing the line in a boot on Friday. I don't want you crossing the line, bad Mata's coming out of the locker room and saying, "What's this dude doing with his
0: boot over the line?" I know. It'll be a it'll be a race in line to in line with me and Mata with my hurt foot. <laughs> 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 so, uh, no, I didn't even play basketball last night because I thought, "Man, I don't want to bust this thing up. It it is it is ripe. It is ripe to be uh I think hurt even more right now. So I'm trying to be cool with it. Plus, oh, I'm fat not, I'm oh. fat. The whole fat and out of shape thing really is a detriment. So,
3: well, good news. Fat people <laughs> and people that have hurt feet can step up to the foul line and make ten out of ten. So, yeah. I got faith in
0: you. You got it, buddy. All right, we'll see you coming up on Friday. All right, John. See you Friday. It's so a Bowen right there. The morning show, Kevin and Query, seven until ten a.m. here on the Fan. That's weekday mornings right here. 30 seconds exactly right there to get to the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Hell of a game ender. Good call on Sunday. Well done. That juice you up a little bit.
2: I appreciate you, man. It's always tough to, you know, climb back in front of a a computer or climb in the the desk after a game on Sunday night to go back to work, get ready for the next game or the next day, I should say, on Monday after a game like that, because yeah, you are juiced. You are excited. It takes a while to kind of come back to neutral a little bit on a Sunday nighter.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt, especially one like that because you knew. Listen, I'm not going to suggest that that games that you win, especially exciting games like that, are not going to juice you to a similar level. But there was something a little bit more, certainly, in that come-from-behind win, in that fashion on Sunday to lift you a little bit more.
2: Well sure. I mean it's the home opener, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean it's you know, one of the, the best teams, uh probably the best team in the NFL since twenty eighteen. I mean, they've got the most wins um in that span with Patrick Mahomes since he took over a quarterback. They got fifty two wins in that time period. Uh his first chance ever to play a game at Lucas Oil Stadium. So it was a hot ticket, marquee game. I mean you had Nance and Romo on the call, so Um, Yeah, that that, that game meant a lot in terms of confidence, uh, helps your psyche, and it also just kind of helps with you know trying to rebound from a bad start to the season where you're you know 0-1-1 feel like you should be 2-0 at the very at the very least you should be 1-1 going into that game last weekend felt like you had some opportunities sort of slipped through the cracks so um yeah you're you're big on must wins I thought it was a maybe not a must win but I think it's a a game where you had to come out and perform to prove to yourself and prove to the league that you weren't a you know the worst team in the NFL record wise and offensively only scoring 20 points through two games so i thought it was huge to kind of get back to where you, you you want to be in terms of setting the standard that you have for yourself
0: oh now my ron Colley friend not only was that a must win but we <laughs> we, we, we are <laughs> forging we're forging into this weekend super must win <laughs> territory I don't even know if I've gone super must win territory. Super must win on you're Sunday.
2: Going, you're going ultra. You're going ultra must win. You're going I'm telling you know, yeah. it is the must win 2000. Brought to you by JMV. It, there, there's a lot. There's a lot. I
0: kind of explain, at least in, in my eyes, the dynamic that is working here going into this weekend. At the outset of this show, you got so much, you know, the believability of a playing off of that win, the fact that you're 0-1 and 1 within the division. You know, you're at home against the division rival Tennessee's in a similar situation. There is a lot going on here. There is no doubt. You have to come away with the win, especially considering this team. Much like Matt, a lot of people felt that Kansas City kind of laid it out for them. Um, right. And right, listen, right. the Colts took it. Don't get me wrong, but you know, special teams. I thought the defense played fantastically against Mahomes. It wasn't vintage Mahomes, and then the whole Chris Jones thing. But when you look at you look at Tennessee and, and they're dinged up. I mean, th- this is a team that you do not want to give a reason. On Sunday, thus, I think this is absolutely must win. Super must win, in fact, Matt.
2: Well, I, I will agree with you in the sense that it, it is one of the biggest games of the year in terms of importance. Because these last two years, these head-to-head matchups have gone um, they, they've – they've had such a weight on determining who wins the AFC South. And it's been – It's been the Colts and Titans, you know, those chief rivals in the division to see who wins, uh, you know, the AFC South hosting a playoff game. Um, So these, these games are just, you know, monstrous in terms of the ramifications. And the last time these two teams squared off was Halloween last year, and it was an epic game. Epic, epic game. I thought both teams played great. It just boiled down to execution in the fourth quarter or, as was the case, overtime last year. Um, they end up winning on a walk-off field goal, and that really kind of stunk the Colts' chances to win the division, and that was week eight. And so these two teams are going to play, what, in a couple weeks, and then they're going to be done for the season just like they were last year at the halfway point, and so you you got to take advantage of these situations when you can get them, and it happens in week number four, and I will agree with you, they're off to a slow start as well, they're not happy with where they're at record-wise, they kind of put some things together last week against the Raiders, kind of hung on and, and won there, stopping a two-point conversion to get the win, but the Colts kind of feel like they're in the same boat, because they got the win last week, but You know, let's be honest. As you said, I agree with you. Kansas City didn't play their best football. They made a lot of mistakes. Give the Colts credit because they made fewer mistakes. And at the end of the day, that's what the NFL is all about. So you apologize for nothing because a win is a win is a win. But. These guys come in, and they feel like they almost own the city of Indianapolis. They've won three straight games at Lucas Oil Stadium. They've won four of the last five against the Colts in the head-to-head series, three in a row. They swept the Colts last year. You know, the Titans have a lot of confidence coming into this game because it's a place where they've won, they've had success, And it's not the same team as last year. I don't think Derrick Henry is near the same running back as he has been um, in the past. I I hope that I'm continuing to be be right on that because you never want to count a guy like that out. But just, you know, what you see on the film, what you see statistically, he's just not the same ferocious guy, but he's still – you know, I think a top ten back in the league. That being said, right, and they they're down Luan at left tackle. They lost Harold Landry in the in the preseason. Um, that's big because now instead of it being a three prong rushing attack, it's only two with you know Simmons and Autry still pretty form, formidable. The defense has got some shaky numbers. They've given up a lot of points. I think some of those outliers though are you know they played Buffalo and just got completely taken to the woodshed in that game, lost by 34 points. So I. Think I think the collective, um, you know, individual parts on that defense, they're going to be better than what you see, you know, statistically through three games. So I don't think you can kind of take that and uh, or go too too far with that. I should say because I, I think that defense is going to be better, you know, than what they've played so far this year. But um, you know, Frank Reich talked about it earlier this week. It is. You know them. They know you. It's an AFC South game built on physicality on both sidelines. It's going to be an absolute war, and it's going to come down to the fourth quarter, and it's just going to come down to playmaking ability, you know, And then the last four minutes, just like it did on Sunday.
0: It's a Matt Taylor voice of the Colts on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. That other dynamic that I brought up, too, I think it was a three-pronger for me back in segment number one, was the fact that the owner has been in the offseason pretty outspoken about the importance of taking care of business against this Titans. Team.
2: Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, Jim, Jim's always adamant and he's, you know, very, very, um, you know, strong with his words in the off season. And he had, you know, like you said, a three-pronged approach, get off to a good start when the opener went in Jacksonville, those two things didn't happen. And now, you know, you've got another opportunity to, to right some wrongs um, against Tennessee coming up in week number four. And it's just so, so imperative. We talked about it ad nauseum the entire off season, but you know you feel good about getting that win last week, but you still have to look at this in perspective on how the first half of the season shakes out scheduling wise again, five of your first seven against the a f c south well, so far, you don't have a win in the division, and so you you have you've had some opportunities you let kind of slip through the cracks a little bit, slip through your fingers. You know, through the first two games, and, and now you're, you're just not going to get those opportunities later in the season. So you have to get off to good starts. You've got to get these games when you can get them, knowing your margin for error. If you don't get them later in the season, they're just not going to be there because you don't play. I mean, you play the, the Houston Texans in Week 18. That's it. That, there's only one AFC South game uh, from, from Halloween on for this team. So that's
0: incredible, too, by the way. I wanted to bring that up. That's, that's incredible. That, like right. two months without a division opponent you you like
2: that no I, I don't I mean uh-huh. well I mean it just I, I guess ask me in you know a month, sure yeah you know oh, yeah. I mean I I guess we'll find out I mean yeah we we said back in may when the uh when the when the schedule came out in the off season it's like this team could have the potential have the chance to be in the catbird seat by you know the end of october um but you know the n f l is just such a gauntlet, and you know Jacksonville's proving to be i think very very good at least way better than they were last year i mean they've won their last two games by a combined score of sixty two to ten so maybe we kind of have to rethink, you know, how the division's going to stack out here. But, uh, yeah, you, you've just got to get these games when you can, because the back end of the schedule is just so uh, wide open um, without those AFC South opportunities to make up ground in real time.
0: So Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts on and the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. A lot of what was going wrong with the non-vintage look at Mahomes and you know their offense being a bit bogged down. I, I'll give credit where credit is due. I, I thought that in large part that was the Colts' defensive effort, and we saw something for the first time that we expected this season, or at least I did, especially with that group up front. They stepped up. I thought the secondary was fantastic, and when you're playing somebody like Mahomes to do that, pretty impressive. Is that the stepping stone where you think this defense is now going to consistently be able to be? Because they showed signs of what we had talked about in the offseason.
2: Yeah, I mean, the first two games, it was sort of shades of of years gone by with the high completion percentage allowed and you know, tight ends getting lost in the secondary. You're thinking, oh man, this this just looks like it it has been, you know, from 2018 to to 2021. Uh, But I thought last week, you know, really kind of ratcheted up a little bit. and And you talked about it. the pass rush was just fantastic and you know the one sack and only a handful of quarterback hits on Mahomes really doesn't tell the whole story of you know the lane integrity on the pass rush lanes um, consistently getting in his face you know he's he's still. I mean I know he's a playground you know uh, wizard back there with the football and he can make things happen when plays are going six and seven seconds at a time. But he's still a guy that likes to get rid of the ball fast and let playmakers make plays. And he continuously had to pull it down. He had to double pump. He had to hitch. Um, and you know he I always call it the baseball turn. You know he's in the pocket and then he he turns his back and he baseball turns like a center fielder away from an oncoming uh, you know pass. Rusher, He had to do that multiple times. He would turn left or turn right, and then he would just keep giving, had to keep giving ground because another Colts pass rusher would be in his face. So I thought, um, you know, the pressure was really good. You know, I I saw ESPN put out that the Colts pressured him about 40% of the time, which is really, really high considering where they were the first two games. The coverage down the field was really, really sticky. Obviously, mean, It was highlighted by that pass defense, ball batted up in the air and in the interception uh, to Rodney McLeod there in the final play of the game. So, yeah, defensively, you know, you, you, you feel good about, you know, the, the strides that they made. Um, and, you know, they're trying to marry that performance with consistently stopping the run, which they've done, through three games. That, that I think, has been the most consistent part of the defense. Um, it's been, you know, giving up only 77 rushing yards per game, just 2.6 yards per carry, which is number one in the NFL. I mean, the fact that, you know, they, they slowed down Mahomes, but they also slowed down the running game, you know, to set themselves up on third and long a lot of the times, especially in the second half. I mean, Clyde Edwards, a had like, seven carries for no yards their lead back had zero yards in the game so the defensive line I think is coming along Grover Stewart's elite DeForest Buckner's elite now they're just trying to you know complement that with the performance they turned in the back end on Sunday against Kansas City
0: Matt Taylor on the Andy Moore automotive group hotline what else stood out to you as well can we take anything away especially with At least the offensive line that struggled mightily. there's no doubt about that, again on Sunday, that final drive gave them a little bit of space and a little bit of a look that was obviously the game winner. Any play off of that, you think, coming up on Sunday against Tennessee? Yeah,
2: I I do. I I think that's a huge confidence builder. And and as you said, the offensive line has been inconsistent. Uh, That's putting it lightly so far this season. You know, I just think I don't think it's up to the standard that the Colts have for that group, you know, with twelve sacks allowed and 28 quarterback hits through three games. It's, I think Frank today used the word uncharacteristic, and it is uncharacteristic considering they are the third best team and fewest sacks allowed uh, since 2018 when Frank took the job and they've been top 10 and fewest sacks allowed every year since 2018. Um, So, I mean, Matt Ryan's on pace to be sacked almost 70 times this year. I mean, obviously that's not going to happen. They're going to get that corrected, but – yeah, it's been a long time since this franchise has allowed five sacks in a game and back-to-back games. But I, to their credit, though, I did think they put it together there in the fourth quarter, especially on that long drive, you on know, that 16-play drive. You get into the end zone with 24 seconds left, and you take the lead. You know, Obviously, that doesn't happen if the offensive line is not protecting and they're not doing their job. So I, I think that's kind of gotten lost in the conversation these last couple of days. But I, I think that that too is also something that this team has been able to hold their hat on. And I know it's early, but through three games, this is a team that is playing much, much better in the fourth quarter and in crunch time compared to last year. You know, we talked about that overtime game, the loss to Tennessee. They lost in overtime last year um, to Baltimore as well. So far this year, they've they've been a fourth-quarter team. And, again, I know it's a small sample size, but, they had that rally against the Texans, the long drive against Kansas City to close that game out on sunday um, they had the Colts actually haven't allowed a single point yet this season in the fourth quarter, and they're outscoring their opponents in the fourth quarter this year twenty four to zero so that's a good sign. They were two and five in games last year, decided by you know one score, so again, I know it's early, but they're trending in the right direction on being a ma- more mature team and a more clutch team in the fourth quarter.
0: All right, my friend, we'll see you down there coming up on Sunday once again as well. Have a great weekend. We're doing hair bands on Saturday night, too, so if you want to call in and uh, give me a hair band request, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I can do a little warrant. Oh, yeah.
0: Cheese and cherry pie. Uh, We were wondering yesterday if I'm going to be allowed to play 17 by Winger.
2: Well, even even if you edit that song, it's still got some uh, pretty serious tone or serious message.
0: Should I like edit it like, she's only 21? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you, you couldn't write that song today, could
0: you? We'd struggle. We would no. struggle. Call in <laughs> on Saturday,
2: my man. All right, you got it, man. Be good. You got it. Matt
0: Taylor, voice of the Colts on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline.